The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. There are just so many books and blogs out there about pregnancy. It is no wonder that women are often feeling completely overwhelmed. So today we speak to Dr. Mel Roy, a specialist obstetrician and gynaecologist with subspecialist qualifications in ultrasound about genetic screening and about how best to optimise our health before and during pregnancy. Hi everyone, we are with Dr. Mulroy from St. John of God Hospital and we're talking about optimising your health before and during pregnancy. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. So let's start. What is the best time of the month to conceive? That's a great question. Now, for the average woman, um, the best time is mid-cycle. So in the textbook, women have a 28-day cycle and they ovulate on day 14. Now, there is two parts to a cycle, the first half and the second half, and the second half of a cycle is fixed, and we call this the luteal phase. And so for women who have a longer cycle, for Mm. example, they're 32 days, day 18 will be the day that they ovulate. So for women planning a pregnancy, we recommend tracking your cycle, so writing it down in a notepad or on your iPhone, and that Mm. will allow you to develop a knowledge of your cycle. So you know what day is the best time to have sexual intercourse. Now, it's also interesting to note that you... The egg only survives for possibly 24 to 48 hours, whereas the sperm can survive for up to five days, possibly even more. So having sexual intercourse in the days leading up to ovulation is usually provides you the best opportunity to conceive. And as you say, good good to know and start tracking your cycle. That's right. And for women, for example, who come off the oral contraceptive pill, it can take a few months for their cycle to regulate. So Um, no need to panic sometimes thinking, oh, I can suddenly fall pregnant. It just doesn't happen as quickly. No, I mean, for some women, they can return to spontaneous normal cycles straight away, but it can take a few months. Mm -hmm. Now, for women over the age of 35 in particular, If this is taking more than, say, three to six months, we would recommend evaluation by a fertility specialist because as time goes on, there may be factors that can be optimised for the fertility of the couple and we don't want to let months and years go by before they are investigated. The other thing that I wanted to mention that There are some changes in the women's physiology or their body that can indicate ovulation and the woman can take notice of, for example, the mucus that's produced by the cervix Mm. um, that will allow them to tell if they've ovulated or not. And what other changes in the body would they feel? Yeah, that's a good question. Sometimes the breasts can change throughout the cycle and particularly up at just close to the menstrual cycle starting, they can feel some swelling and engorgement of the breast, which is the progesterone hormone. Okay. Mm. And what about pre-pregnancy screening? Is there any screening that you would suggest? Mm. That's a brilliant question, and yes, there are. There are many tests which your GP can arrange. There are 
it is important to see if you're immune to rubella or German measles. Many young people today haven't heard about the impact of rubella, but in fact, it can cause severe birth defects to a baby if you contract rubella during pregnancy. And does that still happen? Um, it happens more so in the developing world where vaccinations aren't widespread, but it's actually quite rare in, fortunately for us in Australia, for that to occur. So what the mm. GP can do is test your rubella immunity. If your levels are low, you can have a booster of the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine. The other thing that's important to test for is for infectious diseases such as hepatitis B, C and HIV. These viruses can occur and women can be asymptomatic or not show any signs and it's important to test for these before pregnancy because they can actually be treated to decrease the risk of transmission to the baby during pregnancy and delivery. Mm -hmm. The other test that's important to be up to date with is your cervical screening test, which has changed in the last few years. Now it's actually a HPV DNA test, which is performed five yearly once yeah. you're in the new and screening program. it's harder program. to track, actually, because... You know, you, as you say, you've got to keep note of when you last yes, did it. That's right. So there's a cohort of women that are going from the older two-yearly screening to the five-year. We're very lucky to have the cervical screening registry, which will send you a letter to notify you if you are late with that test. Yes. And um, the other testing I wanted to mention is baseline medical tests for people that are at risk, for example, of diabetes. Mm. Type 2 diabetes can occur in young people, particularly if you're from a certain um, ethnic background or if you're overweight or even if you are lean, there are some people who have diabetes and aren't aware of that. So your GP can arrange testing for that. It's also important to check that you're not uh, particularly low in iron and that can be tested with the GP as well. And the final pre-pregnancy screening I wanted to mention is carrier screening to test for three genetic conditions. We now have the capacity to see if mothers carry the gene for cystic fibrosis, fragile X and a neurological condition called spinal muscular atrophy. Okay. The best time to evaluate for this is before you actually fall pregnant so that if you are a carrier, that is you have no signs or symptoms but you carry the gene, we can then test your partner and see if he also carries the gene. If you both carry the gene for these conditions, there's a one in four chance you could have an affected baby. So it's a really good time to actually evaluate your risk and what you would and consider what you would do about the risk um, before you actually conceive. And is it a difficult screen to have? No, it's a blood. It's a simple, just a blood, simple test. blood test. That's right. And you can get it done in a lot of places. Yeah. So there are many different commercial laboratories that uh, run this test and your GP can organise a referral to the laboratory and it is a blood test. And it's good to know these are the um, these tests can be done with their GP. Absolutely. So yeah. it makes it quite accessible to have those conversations. Absolutely. So from last year, all GPs and obstetricians have been advised that it is the standard to offer women of childbearing or who are planning to have a child or a pregnant screening for these conditions. 
great. And what's your thoughts on vitamin supplements? Because we sort of get bombarded when we walk into the pharmacy with all the different vitamins we we could or should have before, after, during pregnancy. Mm, mm. And how how do you simplify what you should take? Yeah. The most important vitamin to take during pregnancy and, in fact, the three months prior to pregnancy is folate. Folate is a vitamin that is present in many foodstuffs, naturally in green leafy vegetables, strawberries um, and some protein-containing legumes. However, we do recommend an additional supplement during pregnancy and you can either take that in a straightforward folic acid tablet, which your pharmacy can advise, or you can take it as part of a multivitamin. And why is folate so good for us? Yeah, great question. It is critical in the development of the baby's neural tube, which is the spine and the brain. So spina bifida is a condition which is fortunately less common than it used to be because of this public health message. message. But it can occur and folate supplementation pre and during early pregnancy is protective to some degree. The other interesting thing about that is that over the last decade, folate has actually supplemented many of our breads, flowers and foodstuffs, Mm. um, which has been a, a massive public health coup to decrease the risk of what is a severe condition. Mm. Um, The other vitamin that I wanted to discuss is calcium because women do need about 1,300 milligrams per day throughout their life to maintain their bone density. And during pregnancy and in particularly with breastfeeding, your calcium stores are drawn down from your bones to some degree. And so it's really important to be cognizant of how much calcium you're having. There are many good websites which talk about the different foodstuffs, dairy in particular, Mm. that show the amount of calcium. But if you think that your calcium intake through your nutrition is poor, then a supplement can be useful. And have you found in your own practice that sort of now that we some people might have gone off full cream dairy absolutely full cream yogurt yes we sort of get attracted to almond milk almond milk and all these um other ways that we can have uh dairy yes (laughs) um have you found that people's women's calcium has reduced and they have to look to supplements yeah look we don't formally measure calcium in pregnancy because the actual blood levels of it don't reflect your bone uh, density. That's much more sophisticated tests that need to be used to do that. In fact, we assess that in women who have premature menopause or postmenopausal women need to have their bone density monitored by their GP or specialist. But it's certainly a talking point um, if women say that they are dairy-free. Mm. Um, I do raise that because, as I said, calcium is very beneficial for our for our bones. Yeah, mm. of course. Mm. The only other vitamin I want to mention today is iodine. We need slightly more in pregnancy for our own um, metabolism and our thyroid metabolism and that of the growing fetus with its brain and physical development as well. So some of the common pregnancy supplements do contain some iodine 
iodine, and that's just another factor. And what sort of level of iodine should be a good target for us? Well, we need 100 micrograms more when we're pregnant, when we're not pregnant. So it's only a small amount more, but the pregnancy supplements do provide that additional amount. Okay, that's good. Mm. What about smoking and alcohol, mm. pre, post and during? I know mm. I've known women who love their wine yeah. uh, prior to getting pregnant and yeah. it's, you know, a massive, you know, um, change of... Mindset. Yeah, mindset mm. of not being able to mm -hmm. have a glass of wine with yeah. dinner. So would you be able to talk to us a bit more about alcohol mm. and, and smoking yeah. during pregnancy yeah. and after pregnancy yeah. and maybe even before? Yeah, the safe level of alcohol during pregnancy is that there is no known safe level. And How does alcohol affect our fetus? Yeah. Well, it can affect it negatively in many ways. Okay. And we there's increasing knowledge about fetal alcohol syndrome and fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And so for that reason, we mm. have advocated that there's no safe level of alcohol. Yeah. It is difficult to assess the direct risk of, say, one glass of wine or yeah. one champagne on the growing baby. And for that reason, we say there's no safe level of alcohol in pregnancy. No, that's fair enough. Mm. And would and what about for women that breastfeed? Yes. You know, is it um, fair to say that they should be off alcohol while breastfeeding yeah, that, as well? Yeah, that is a really good question. Al any medication or drug that you take, a very small amount of the substance will pass through into the breast milk. Mm. And it is, with medications, for example, it's balancing up the pros and cons of that to the baby. So there are women who are on medications to control chronic medical illnesses, to manage their depression, anxiety mm. or other psychiatric conditions or, for example, chronic pain, and they will take medication that passes through to the baby. But that every case is evaluated by the paediatrician and the obstetrician. With respect to alcohol and breastfeeding, again, there is some passage of that through the breast milk. And I know that the Breastfeeding Association would recommend if you're planning to have alcohol to feed the baby to time that for the least amount of alcohol to pass through before the next feed or some women could express some breast milk before yeah. um, to time that to to decrease the negative impact on their little baby. Yeah. Mm. And what about diet? Because, you mm -hmm. know, you see all these women and we were chatting before, you know, um, suddenly, you know, looking amazing. Mm -hmm. um, during pregnancy and particularly mm -hmm. after pregnancy, which I think can be quite overwhelming to, much to, so. to look at. Mm. But really, what are some, you know, really good recommendations mm. that really help us that are normal, yep. Um, yep. that can keep ourselves and our baby healthy? Mm -hmm. That is a very good question. A woman's weight and their body mass index is very important embarking on a pregnancy during the pregnancy and beyond. There are some women who are underweight, mm. who haven't got adequate nutrition. And for those women, fertility can be more challenging. It can be more difficult for them to conceive mm. because some of their hormonal pathways are altered by being very underweight and having low estrogen levels. They also are at high risk of preterm birth and low birth weight and the consequences of that. Mm. 
On the flip side, women who are overweight or obese, which is a large proportion of our population now, they are also at increased risk of problems in conceiving, particularly if they have polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is associated with increased body mass index. They are more at risk of miscarriage and they are more risk at a range of pregnancy complications such as gestational diabetes, hypertension in pregnancy, and they are more at risk of having a difficult delivery, whether it be a vaginal delivery or a caesarean section. So being an average healthy weight is really important. And my approach is that regular gentle exercise in pregnancy is so beneficial mm. to, to keep a healthy weight. And what does that sort of look like? Is that sort of the 30 minutes a day, three times a week yeah. or... Yeah, what what does that look like, mm -hmm. you know, for a woman? You know, like you'll see sometimes people running and yeah. they're pregnant. Yeah. Or what is a sort of um, an exercise that you can do during pregnancy mm. that's not putting your heart at mm. too much risk yeah. or your baby, your growing baby at, at risk? Yeah, I think you nailed it there when you said that's not what I would normally do when you're not pregnant because if you are someone who is a very fit, fit high-level performing athlete, um, you could probably continue to do a lot of what you've done in pregnancy if you mm. had no pre-pregnancy problems, problem conceiving or any pregnancy complications. However, running and jumping weakens the pelvic floor even more so during pregnancy. So that is a factor that I'd like women to take into account. And you are slightly more at risk of joint and pelvic girdle dysfunction because of the relaxant hormone of pregnancy softens the joints and makes them more vulnerable to injury. Mm. So I ask women to consult a very good women's health physio to tailor their exercise program to their own needs um, when that arises. In, in general terms, walking, swimming are both excellent. They're low impact. It's good to keep the body moving. It is good to keep your cardiovascular exercise up in pregnancy yeah. um, for your own general fitness and then it's a good thing to be able to incorporate some exercise into life beyond pregnancy yes. when you when you're out with a new baby your life has changed mm. pushing that pram is awesome exercise and return to your post-pregnancy um, body I do recommend yeah. so that can be a great way walking down the beach or the river or around and you see those park. prams nowadays that have got become so ergonomic Absolutely. and they're so good for running yeah. That's walking, right. which That's is fantastic. Right. It is. So again, postpartum, the pelvic floor is something that needs attention. So all my patients see a physiotherapist when they're on the ward in the hospital oh, okay. and many of them see a physiotherapist before and being guided about pelvic floor muscle exercises is really important and grading back to um higher level exercise is something you do gradually under the supervision of your physiotherapist. And should you be working on your pelvic floor as a woman even during pregnancy or, you know, it's not something that you should just wait until you, no. after you've had the baby? Yeah. Our pelvic floor is vulnerable as a woman, as a human being. We're an upright creature. Yes. Um, the actual act of pregnancy, regardless of the type or mode of delivery, places pressure on the pelvic floor. And then, possibly cruelly, the the actual act of breastfeeding 
causes low estrogen levels in the vagina and a further thinning of the tissues, which can weaken your pelvic floor as well. Oh. So you do need to work on your pelvic floor at all stages of, of life as life. a woman yeah. because it is vulnerable just because of being an upright creature. Conditions like constipation where you're straining, a chronic cough if you've got a respiratory illness, that places pressure on your pelvic floor. And then, as I said, the pregnancy, delivery and beyond. And we've been so blessed. I've just started Pilates and so blessed with things like Pilates Absolutely. nowadays and it's pretty much everywhere. Yes. <laughs> um, and that is so good it's for fantastic. your pelvic floor. That's right. And it's important to remember that your pelvic floor is continuous with your lower abdominal muscles. There's so many benefits for women and men of yes. all ages for doing Pilates. I advocate that for my pregnant women. There's very little risk in a um, managed Pilates class. Yes. And also there's a lot of mental benefits out of Pilates, yes. yoga, and any exercise is yeah. wonderful for your mental state. It produces endorphins. It is wonderful to be in a team of people in a group class. It's great to be outside. There's a lot of mental benefits yeah. of doing exercise no. that I advocate for my ladies. Absolutely. Mm. Some women um, are very proactive and come to me before pregnancy and they are aware that they are in the overweight range. Oh, right. I am very positive for them about their ability to lose weight in conjunction with a specialist dietitian yes. and with an exercise plan. And I often send women to my women's health physio. And so women are at a time of their lives where they're really open to professional's advice mm -hmm. and I'm really positive for them that they can get their way into a healthy weight and range. And have you had patients that have been able to do Absolutely. that? Absolutely. And the other thing is that when they embark on pregnancy and they are already in that overweight or obese category, we work together with the dietitian to minimise how much weight they gain in the pregnancy. Yeah. As I said, their risks of diabetes and high blood pressure and a difficult delivery and recovery will be lessened if they can minimise how much weight they gain. So yeah. it's great now that we have all these professional resources to help us in the journey for these ladies. What about women who have had lap banding and perhaps yes. have lost lots of weight, yep. you know, because yep. I have known of women that have had lap banding or some sort of bariatric surgery mm -hmm. in order to help get yes. pregnant. Yes, So how do you help, how, how do you manage those women mm -hmm. wanting to get pregnant mm -hmm. when they've lost a lot of weight yeah. to not gain a lot of yeah. weight during pregnancy and then after that's right having the baby that is a very valid question and because it's a growing population it's a growing population and these women have done so very well Absolutely. to change their lives and turn them around lose weight and a lot of women who weren't able to conceive when they were obese have they actually have naturally babies, conceived yeah. because the weight loss improves the hormonal milieu in the pathways in the body and allows for ovulation and conception so preferably we see these women before they embark on a pregnancy yes. to optimise their nutrition and certainly bariatric surgery can alter some of the absorption of some of the vitamins, for example. So they are sent to my dietitian for an evaluation of their nutritional um, uh, risks mm -hmm. and there may be some uh, extra vitamins needed there. That is the mainstay of their nutritional uh, gastrointestinal assessment. Some of them will still be under the care of a bariatric team. Some women who have got um, sleeves around the, their intestine need 
those altered during pregnancy, oh, and okay. I lia- liaise closely with their bariatric surgeon. Should that so be required? So it's all very possible, and it's all very you can you know still have a baby and still have it very healthy, but it takes a team of people. It takes a team, absolutely. So I liaise with a dietitian, as I mentioned. Carrying on with some exercise is wonderful. We also have an obstetric physician who we engage to manage some medical problems because even though women have lost a lot of weight, sometimes they still have hypertension. Mm. They still may have diabetes. So some women have been able to normalise their blood sugars with significant weight loss. So obstetric physician, dietitian, physio to have an exercise program um, are all part of the team that I engage to. So get some good guidance. Absolutely, absolutely. And what about medical conditions like high blood Mm. pressure, diabetes? Mm -hmm. Are sometimes these conditions brought on by pregnancy? Yes. So a proportion of women develop hypertension in pregnancy or another condition called preeclampsia, which in its classic form is high blood pressure, protein in the urine and swelling. So why do we get that? That is a very good question and we still haven't got all the answers. Mm. There's definitely a genetic predisposition. If your mother had preeclampsia or even if your other family members have high blood pressure, your dad, for example, it can put you more at risk of that during pregnancy. Mm. Then there are other situations. So if you're a very young mum or if you're an older mum, if you're carrying a twin pregnancy, Mm. you are more at risk of having preeclampsia. For women who have high blood pressure going into pregnancy, we monitor that very closely. Some women are on medication that is safe for pregnancy and I monitor that closely with the obstetric physician. I also monitor the growth and well-being of the babies of my ladies that have these conditions. I'm an ultrasound specialist as well. So every time the ladies present, all of my ladies, I evaluate the growth, the amniotic fluid levels, and for those type of women, we look at the blood flow through the umbilical cord from Mm. the placenta. So we can monitor very closely how that baby is travelling. Oh, that's Mm. good to know. And and is it sometimes they have the baby and then the blood pressure or the medical condition might mm-hmm. go away? Yeah. Or is it something they would have to manage long term? Great question. Interestingly, both diabetes and high blood pressure and pregnancy can be a bit of a window into your future health profile. Wow. You are about 50% likely to have type 2 diabetes if you have diabetes in pregnancy or gestational diabetes. So after you deliver your baby and you have diabetes, I organise a follow-up diabetes test about six to eight weeks following, and then your GP will follow that up every two years. Okay. With respect to high blood pressure or hypertension, a lot of the time that will resolve if they've only just developed in pregnancy, but again, they are at high risk of developing high blood pressure and cardiovascular disease later in life. So it's um, something that can be medically managed with safe medications and diet and exercise and how you would normally treat blood pressure? In pregnancy? Yeah. Yes. So there are certain medications that are safe in pregnancy that we utilise that don't cause birth defects. Diet, again, we would want to minimise the excessive weight gain in someone who's at risk for high blood pressure in pregnancy because that can mediate Mm. uh, the risk of high blood pressure developing. And Diet in broad terms doesn't have a large impact on the development of hypertension in pregnancy, but 
excessive yeah. salt, something that you've heard talk about, and we would advocate that as well in pregnancy. Yeah. Mm. And I've got a question off the cuff here. Speaking mm -hmm. of diet, yes. what about these cravings that women get mm -hmm. during and they go, I just have to eat Yes. I don't know, a yes. litre of ice yes. cream. Yes. Yeah. What do you say when women might come in and they say, suddenly I never used to eat this, but yeah. now I have to eat this yeah. during pregnancy? It's interesting, isn't it? I yeah. mean, every it's important for ladies to know that every pregnancy is absolutely different. And we're all individuals. We're all individuals. We? And even for the same women who, for a woman who has three babies, they can feel really different in each yeah. pregnancy. And some women have no pregnancy symptoms at all in earlier pregnancy and they come to me feeling worried that that's a sign oh. that something is wrong mm. whereas in fact that can be normal too and other women have severe what we call hyperemesis of pregnancy where they're feeling very poorly vomiting feeling sick constantly so it's 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 very varied yes with respect to those cravings again yes some women want to eat fatty salty food yeah. which is not good for excessive weight gain some women feel like they want to have cold oranges some women do feel like they want to eat a lot of ice cream which is not good if they are putting on too much yeah. weight for their diabetes risk for example but again it's fascinating how preg the pregnancy hormones affect women so differently it is mm. fascinating mm. so that it's just have a uh, be mindful and try as much as possible to have a balanced... Balanced diet, yeah. yeah. You may have heard about um, listeria, which is a yes. infection, which is actually quite rare. That's reassuring. Is this the one um, that stops us from eating soft cheeses and yeah. The, yeah, um, the cold meats and things that's like that? That's right. Yeah. So it can exist on food that has not been properly refrigerated or heated mm. and there is a list of food stuffs on all the health department websites that highlight foods that are more risky for pregnant women but it's quite low risk it's it's very uncommon okay actually seeing listeria cause miscarriage or stillbirth okay and in terms of just to finish what would be the three top tips that you would give patients to have a healthy pregnancy? Great question. Optimising existing medical conditions is critical and you can do that with your general practitioner coming to see me for a preconception consultation and with the help of my obstetric physician if they're more complex medical problems. It's my first top yes. tip. Being in the healthy weight range, we've talked about it at length. Yes. Having as much a balanced lifestyle as much as you can in broad terms. So, so that's even before. Yeah, because that can uh, excessive uh, stress can mediate your own hormonal patterns and influence your chance of conception. So, when you're thinking about having a family, that that's a good time to think about optimizing your life and how you can have patterns through pregnancy and beyond that can allow you to grow up your um, children in a healthy and balanced way. Yeah, sounds, sounds wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time My today pleasure. and sharing your knowledge. My pleasure. A big thank you to Dr Malroy for sharing her knowledge and to learn more about Dr Malroy and St John of God Hospital Subiaco, visit sjog.org.au. If you feel this podcast episode can help a friend or a family member, please share as sharing knowledge empowers our lives and the lives of others. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. To listen to more episodes of Meditalk, visit meditalk.com.au and if you have any medical conditions you would like to learn more about, please send me an email via danae at meditalk.com.au. Stay well and thank you for listening.